Hey everyone, welcome back to Who's There? I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. This week I have an awesome conversation and quite a literary conversation with UK-based horror writer Dan Sewell. He talks about how movies on the BBC were his gateway into horror, who his favorite horror writers are, and where he's found inspiration for his own horror stories. He also told me the mythology behind The Green Man, who you may remember seeing in the 2022 horror movie Men, why he loves sci-fi movies, and what movie he loves that everyone else hates. One last thing before I get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think that's it. So let's get into this episode with Dan Sewell. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me, Alison. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, etc.? Oh, uh, okay. Who am I? Oh, that's a question. Right. Well, I live in Northern Ireland, so that, but I'm not Northern Irish, which you might be able to tell from the accent, but it depends where you're from. So uh, originally, I am from England. I was born in Byron's hometown, a little place called Southall in Nottinghamshire, so near Sherwood Forest for all of you Robin Hood fans. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's all it's known for. It has a big cathedral and it's where the Bramley apple was first bred. So if you, all you Americans that love apple pie, that's where your <laughs> apples come from. Uh, <laughs> and Lord Byron. So, and then I, I moved to, lived in Scotland for a long time and met my wife and she's Northern Irish. So that then brought us over, over to, uh, over to Northern Ireland. So that's where we live. And what else about me? I don't know. I'm a, an indie horror author, sort of an academic. I used to be a university, what you would call professor or associate professor, but I kind of run a freelance writing training business where I go around the Europe teaching PhD students how to write theses and dissertations and research papers and stuff like that. So that keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, that's basically me. I've got a wife and two kids and some animals and we look out over lovely Irish, Northern Irish countryside. It's great. <laughs> no complaints. Awesome. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Mm. Oh God, that's a right, right out. <laughs> right out the blocks. Okay. Probably the thing. Yeah. Going to go with the thing. I see the poster or, behind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can see the poster behind me. And then you can see aliens as well. So it would probably be like the thing. Yeah. First and then maybe Terminator. Okay, cool. I'm. I've never heard Terminator referred to as a horror movie. Yeah, I've no. never seen it. I've only seen Terminator Two, but no. <laughs> outrageous. No, it's a brilliant horror movie. It's basically The Mummy Returns. That's the way you, you think of it. It's the okay. That's what it is. It's like this relentless thing. But no, definitely a horror movie. Just a sci-fi okay. horror movie. I quite like sci-fi horror movies in general. I, yeah. I can tell. Um, yeah. So, how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? Okay, well, I, as life is very ironic, uh, I have a PhD in English and linguistics, and I'm a writer, but I also was really profoundly dyslexic as a child, so <laughs> how I ended up writing, I don't know, but 
the way I kind of fell in love with, with movies and horror, I suppose, more specifically, was my mum was an English teacher, <clears throat> so our house was filled with books. Like, I've not got a bad bookshelf behind me. It's all right. But one of my vivid memories is there was just books everywhere, like, rather than wallpaper. You just had floor-to-ceiling books, but I couldn't read any of them. Like, they were really... I was probably functionally illiterate until I was maybe 12 or so. And then, even then, it's really difficult. I would fall asleep reading and stuff like that. So TV and movies were really you know my way into kind of what finding information and like enjoying stories and that was great my mum was always brilliant we always went to the theatre and you know we'd go and watch Shakespeare and things like that because that she would be teaching it or whatever (laughs) and we talk about movies and films and we talk about plays and books all the time but that wasn't how I could access it through through that so I had to go through the TV and that and I'm a kind of VHS generation kid so that having the old, well, I would have been Blockbuster or something like, it wasn't called Blockbuster where I lived, but we had our little VHS yeah. uh, store in the town and I would go down there. <clears throat> and actually recently I went home a few years ago and I hadn't been home, like my hometown for about 15 years or something, maybe 20 years. The shop has changed hands many times. And I, the last time I walked past it, they'd ripped off the old frontage and it was back to being the old video store that it was <laughs> 20 years ago. Like it traveled back in time. It was really freaky. So anyway, you'd go down on a Friday night and you'd pick out your three movies that you were taking. You'd have to get them back by, you know, nine o'clock on a Sunday evening or whatever. So that was part of it. And then I suppose like I'd watch lots of different movies, just anything. I was a real, I realized later a bit of a movie nerd as a kid. But I was just, you know, loved movies, so I'd go and watch them. And then I would watch a lot of late-night Godzilla movies because that's what was being shown in, in the UK. And I'd be up late on a Friday or a Saturday night, probably too late, and then Godzilla would come on. Or it would be some of the kind of old, older 1950s movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still or Forbidden, the original Forbidden Planet with Robbie the Robot and stuff. Again, sci-fi horror all of those (laughs) and an invasion of the body snatchers and then there's a channel in the UK called channel four which is a bit like your guys will know the BBC it's a bit like the BBC it's kind of partly publicly funded and and they fund a lot of great movies things like 28 days later and all kinds of movies like that but they would do this brilliant thing on a Friday night called movie drone with this movie critic called Alex something or other I can't remember his name but he did this brilliant series and it had Terminator it had, I think, Alien, and it had Repo Man. I don't know if you've seen Repo Man. That's an old American, really yeah. good mo- horror movie. Again, it's a sci-fi horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what else did he have on it? Oh, like, you know, things like Screamers. God, that was, that's an old movie. It's a sci-fi horror movie. And Scanners, like like John Carpenter movies, The Thing, The Fly. Oh, they were all on it. And he would do these brilliant intros telling you about how, you know, they weren't just horror movies. They're really important movies because of, you know, whether the cinematography or the story or the metaphor for something. So it was also kind of an introduction and through movie drone of how, you know, yeah, it was pop culture, but it was also important pop culture, which I, I don't know. It spoke to me anyway, and I thought they were cool. And then they start showing them and you just get pulled into the movie. So it's great. Very cool. I have not seen Scanners, but I've seen, is that the one where the head explodes? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that clip, yeah. but I haven't seen the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think it gets a bad rap. Rap, you know, horror used to be much more, I don't know, socially acceptable in the 70s, in the 80s, probably the 60s as well. I suppose there starts to be a bit more of a social conservative turn in the UK and in America, generally in the 80s. Then things start falling out by the time you get to the 90s. So that that might be... Well, I, so I don't know why it's... It, are we weird? I don't think we are. Like, if you compare it to another genre, like, why do people like romance? I don't know, probably because they like to feel, you know? And that's the particular emotion that they want to explore a lot. It's like, you know, it's going to be a happily ever after. And that's not a bad thing. I suppose in horror, we go straight for the raw emotion. There's not... There can be subtlety, but... It, <laughs> It's pretty blatant at the end. So you're always, everything is high stakes in horror, you know, and really good. I mean, it's such a spectrum, but, you know, everything from splatterpunk, if that's your bag, is, is a much more visceral feel, right? Right the way through to something that's just going to be like, you know, a kind of character piece, which, you know, I would argue Alien too. It's, Aliens is a much better character piece than Alien because uh, <laughs> there's actual, like, growth. In, in Aliens. Yeah, don't, if you get me started on that, I'll start breaking down the movie. <laughs> but, you know, basically Ellen doesn't change in the first movie. She's right at the start and she's right at the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, in Aliens, obviously she goes on a character arc. So horror, I think, just... It's a great canvas. I mean, Mick Garris says that we, you know, horror is the one that's most explicitly based in metaphor. So we're quite at home with the idea that the monster is a personification of something that is very difficult to look at straight on, right? So that's why, I don't know, people love George Romero's movies because you can see them as like, you know, a comment on American racism of the, at the time, right? Even though explicitly don't seem to be about that because they're, yeah. they're about whatever. Or Jaws is a good example. Like, what's Jaws about? Eh, is it about a shark? Not as much as it's about money, right? You know, and again, if you look at the book, it's even more about money. But the film is about money, about what you'll do for the sin of money. Uh, shark is just a vehicle, <laughs> the turd, as it was called, <laughs> for us to kind of examine that. So actually, my PhD was, was all about like how it was about national identity and nationalism and how nationalism is a metaphor that allows us to kind of do quite complicated things very simply in politics and stuff. And that's really a, just an an old storytelling technique really is that we can, can t- turn any evil or any good thing as well, but any evil into, into a monster if we want to. And then that's something we can kind of rationalize, you know, and we can fight and sometimes you might lose, right? And then you've got a tragedy and sometimes you might win and then you've got a heroic journey. So I think horror just lets us feel basically in a very raw and visceral way though. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. What is your favorite? I think I already know this, but what is your favorite subgenre in horror? Oh yeah, it's going to be sci-fi horror. <laughs> is it because of nostalgia, or is it actually your favorite? A good question. Right, it's something because I write obviously a lot of horror. It's not a strong written horror genre or subgenre. Right, mm-hmm. it's just not a lot of good. It's just not a lot of them, <laughs> let alone good ones. You know, and, you, and you're pretty much like you've got, and, and you can name a few like Luminous Dead or what was that one I just read recently? Someone bookshelf, which would make a great movie. Dead Silence. That's a great idea for a movie. And of course, the Alien franchise spin offs and stuff like that. 
But yeah, it's not. Where was he going with the question? <laughs> why, why was it? Yeah. <laughs> why is it? Okay. I suppose the thing I find the scariest is probably things like real supernatural or satanic type stuff. Even though I'm quite a probably an arch rationalist, a reluctant atheist. I don't want to be an atheist, but I kind of am, right? But so maybe there's something more safe about aliens. Maybe they seem less, I don't know, some part of my mind, less, less real. I, it probably loops back actually to your other question, but why did I start getting into it? Maybe it is a bit of nostalgia. Maybe that was like what I was presented with. I think I just, but there were other movies out there, you know, at the same time that weren't like that. But another thing that I think connects to it is I grew up in a kind of a strange household in terms of the occult. Not that I was in a cult or anything like that, but my house was full of crystals. Like my mum and dad used to love meditating with crystals, right? <laughs> this is back in the 80s, right? And a lot of the books on the bookshelves were like occult books, like about, you know, religious Gnosticism or like the book, The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, right? Which became, which Dan Brown used to write Da Vinci Code. So when that movie came out, and everyone was like, oh, this this great idea of this like Christian conspiracy theory. I was like, doesn't everyone know about that? Like I'd grown up on stories about Christian conspiracy theories. And and my mom, you know, had like exercised ghosts from a house. And my dad was a, a spiritual healer with his hands and stuff like that. So in at the time, it didn't seem strange. Yeah. <laughs> but looking back on it, it was a place where, oh, yeah, there are ghosts and there's like, you know, wider, more spiritual powers and there are ley lines. And, and as a kid, you go, oh, OK, that's quite scary. Uh, <laughs> just the kid, like I was convinced my house was haunted when I was a kid. And uh, so maybe I didn't want that in movies. And that's why I gravitated towards sci-fi. I've just made my parents seem like they're absolutely crazy and they're absolutely <laughs> really, really wonderful and lovely people. Right? No, they <laughs> sound lovely. Like, and that makes total sense why you would gravitate towards sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. That's how you <laughs> grew up. <laughs> Do you have any favorite horror directors? Well, no, I don't think... Well, do you have to like love loads of their movies? I think Cronenberg would be a good one. You know, I love Fly, Scanners, Extance, I think is a... Existence, is that how you pronounce it? That's an underrated movie, kind of, I suppose, a dystopian one, but there's so much body horror in that movie. Carpenter, just for the thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and again, I would go, uh, if I was, because I was thinking about this, like listing them off, like Cameron, James Cameron for The Terminator. If you want Terminator 2, you can have that. It's less of a horror movie, really. <laughs> Aliens and The Abyss, they're all horror movies. All sci-fi horror movies as well, really, when yeah. you think about it. I see so, a pattern. It, it is a strange pattern, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those those three I like a lot. And I would, yeah. Even if any, they brought out any movie now, I'd probably just go, oh, watch it just because it's them. Yeah. Did you see that there's a new Cronenberg movie coming out? No. Soon? I don't, I don't know if it's... I think it's David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks really weird. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll, I'll try to look for it after. All, all his stuff is weird, really. Yeah. I've only seen well. the, I've only seen The Fly, so. Oh, what a movie though! But Spielberg is an underrated horror director as well. Not ever thought of as a horror director, but you know, he did Jaws and the remake of War of the Worlds, which I think is a good movie. And even Minority Report is a dystopian horror. Has to be 
and Gremlins is definitely a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. So since you're a writer, who are your personal favorite horror authors? Oh, well, I, I mean, the predictable one is to say Stephen King, because it's just nearly everyone's <laughs> one's favorite horror author. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Who else do I really like? I really like Nick Cutter. It's not got a lot of horror novels. He writes under another name. Nick Cutter's a pseudonym because he's a thriller writer. Mm-hmm. So he wrote The Troop and The Deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, The Troop's tagline on Amazon at the moment is, is TikTok's favourite horror novel. I'm not sure that's a, a great selling point, yeah. personally, but it's a really good... I love it. I think it, he does such visceral descriptions that... Um, Reading the troop, I actually felt sick at one point, and that never happens. Like it was just so it's so it's all about parasites and stuff. It's a really good book. Oh. About a, a troop of scouts that get stranded on a little Canadian island off the coast, and a storm comes in, and then someone else turns up on the island, and it's all about infection and body horror. So it's a kind of like a real gross version of and horror version of Lord of the Flies, even though Lord of the Flies is pretty much a horror <laughs> as yeah. well. Uh, he's great. And then there's a thriller writer called Michael Corita, who, who sometimes do, does kind of like supernaturally thrillers, but he writes under a, a pseudonym as well called Scott Carson. And he really started writing horror through, through or publishing horror through the lockdowns, through the pandemic. And he brought out two books the last two years. And the first one was called The Chill. Oh, it's one of my favourite books of, probably my favourite book of last year, about a dam, a flooded uh, like a, a town that was flooded to make a dam to feed New York City, but it's the kind of spare dam. And some of the people of the town, like what they do is they, the generations after generations, they 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 train them. They've they've made a pact to come and avenge the town being lost. There was like a strange religious cult there. And every so often, when people come of age, they go and sacrifice themselves and join the ghosts under the water to start undermining oh. the dam. And they're waiting for a once in a lifetime, you know, storm slash water level. So that's the kind of premise of the book. And then there's, but he writes wonderful characters that you really kind of get inside of. I love that book. And then he wrote another one that came out this year called Where They Wait. And it's kind of about a haunted mindfulness app. Hmm. Yeah. So you can listen. (laughs) Yeah. And And he mixes it together with lovely, like wicked and East Coast folklore about you know the kind of there's a very famous shipwreck off the coast of Maine which resulted in cannibalism I, the name of it forget mm. I forget it now but anyway it's very well known and so he kind of builds in a kind of like haunting ghost story around that with this haunted like technology app yeah so I love really love him but there's so many great great writers out there like Paul Tremblay and you know lots of lots of guys yeah yeah what was that author's first novel about the the dam what was that called? Oh, uh, it's called The Chill. <clears throat> the Chill. Okay, that sounds... I want to read that because there. I think the dam that New York City gets its water from currently, I've driven past it before, and I think I had heard that there used to be a town under mm-hmm. there, or maybe I'm just thinking of The Deep House. I don't I don't know. That movie that came out last year? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that sounds that sounds really oh, great. I think it's is it the Chilliwake Dam or something like that? So it's a Native American um, name or something. I've got the book on my shelf over there. It's very good. <clears throat> the Chill Scott Carson. That's cool. I can't read a lot of horror. I just got done reading The Last House on Needless Street. Oh, Didn't I understand it. it at all. I just 
like that book a lot. Oh, you, really? I hear that everyone <laughs> loves it. I kind of guessed Me what was too. happening a little bit. No, I gave up 50% in. I was like, I'm done. I can't, <laughs> I can't go. I can't even make it to the end. I don't care. You know, there was nothing. And I, same, everyone said it was amazing. So I was like, God, I've got yeah. to read this book. Mm. Oh. But you didn't like it? Um, I'm not going to say I didn't like it. It's just, it's broken me as far to, as far as my reading comprehension. Cause I, cause like I had no idea what was going on the entire time. Yeah. I still really didn't after the twist <clears throat> was revealed. I don't know. Now I'm trying to read a book for my company's book club and it's just like a simple book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not understanding this. Did this break my ability to comprehend what I read? So. Yeah. No, the chill is a great book. <laughs> Old fashioned, straightforward storytelling. <laughs> just done really really well and like characters that you can kind of actually care about you know yeah. whereas I, I found I didn't care about any of the characters and that maybe that maybe I'm a horrible person yeah maybe that's what it is <laughs> yeah I don't know if you're supposed to care about any of the characters so yeah yeah that might be in the point you know it kind of, I, I definitely found on edge reading the book and I was like I feel uncomfortable but not in a and it was annoying me it's a bit like oh the movie the movie strangers you know the the, the, home the strangers invasion. Yeah, yeah this, I hated that movie. It just, <laughs> it just tweaked every like fight response I have. I was like, why are they doing nothing? Yeah, like, and how it, how has no one got a gun? <laughs> like, there's knives on the side. Why yeah. are you doing something like this? And then even when they're like stabbing your loved ones, they're doing nothing. I was like, this, this doesn't track psychologically for me. This movie, <laughs> like how people would actually respond. Yeah, in that yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah. So why did you choose to start writing horror stories? Mm. <clears throat> um, my honest answer to that question is I don't actually feel that I did choose them. I felt more the genre chose me. So I came to kind of, I suppose, like writing fiction quite late. I was academic before. I was teaching at a university and a graduate school doing like research skills and writing skills training and stuff like that. I'd written a PhD, like 75,000 word PhD, and then I'd written a monograph <laughs> and then a whole bunch of research papers. And then my wife and I went, you know, we started a family and we went through some tragedy together and we decided we wanted to move to Northern Ireland. So I kind of gave up my job and thought I'd run this little business. <clears throat> and I kind of found myself, because I wasn't working in a university, I had loads more time because people just waste their time in universities. <laughs> not very efficient places to work. The kind of place you go and have a meeting about having a meeting. So I was sitting around going, like, oh, I've got lots of, not quite a bit of spare time. What will I do? And I thought, oh, I've always wanted to write a novel. Like I've tried a couple of times and done that classic thing where people write a couple of chapters and they go, I've no idea what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> and just stop. And then this time I thought, well, Dan, you do have a PhD in linguistics, so maybe you should use those skills that you've acquired because <laughs> it was all text analysis and how speeches work and how... You know, but a lot of it was actually about storytelling, right? It's all about, like, political storytelling. And I thought, you've just spent, like, three and a half, four years, or well, more of that, the last five, six years of your life researching how people tell, naturally tell stories, right? Why don't you just do that for, like, you know writing a book or writing you know short stories so I started to kind of just look at you know how you how you would write any kind of short story look at like Jack London's how to write you know how to build a fire or look at like like a Stephen King short story or something like that 
<clears throat> and just started breaking them down. I thought, oh, I'd just start writing, just ideas, whatever. And I wrote lots of things. But what happened was I just started to write a lot more things that when they were getting published, they were getting published in horror magazines <laughs> and they were paying me for it. And I was like, maybe I write horror. I didn't even realize. <laughs> I wrote, but to the point, right, where I wrote a story called, it's called Plight of the Valkyrie. And it was originally published in Devolution Z magazine, which is now defunct, sadly. It was a cool little magazine, a Canadian one. And it paid me money for it. And it was about how death wanted to retire. And how would, how would, and it was part of a guild, wasn't just one death. And so when they look, they look for a particular type of person to replace themselves. But it's a very tricky decision to make because if you get the wrong person, you're giving them the power over life and death. Anyway, it was a fairly dark story. And to my surprise, it got published in a horror <laughs> magazine. And I thought, oh, maybe I do write horror because like <laughs> most of my stories seem to be a bit like this and quite dark. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, uh, and so I just kind of gravitated towards it like that, to be honest. I was like, oh, OK, this is where I feel happiest. I've written literary fiction and a bit of sci-fi, dystopian stuff. I've written some kids novels, which I've never got published, which were more kind of just kids fantasy. One was about a, uh, a boy that had superpowers, discovered he had superpowers at about age 12 as he starts to come into puberty. But his power is that he has superpowered flatulence and each... <laughs> And each, each, each different power is linked to a different emotion, right? And, and yeah, anyway, it was very silly. And but it had a deep, it was deep emotional pathos involved, in, <laughs> but it never got published, not surprisingly. Oh, that sounds fun. I had fun writing it. Yeah, yeah, I had fun writing it and I had fun. There was lots of jokes in it. And I had, you know, I had a great time writing them. There's more kind of things that I could read to my kids later on. But like horror was the one where I kind of, feel like more comfortable even though it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dirty word in publishing I think you're supposed to say supernatural thriller I think that's what you're supposed to say just like in movies yeah and then people will watch them or buy buy the book you yeah. say it's a horror they go oh I don't I don't like horror you yeah know? <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> what is wrong with you why do you like that yeah yeah I get that all the time <laughs> so what's your favorite short story or novel that you've written so far i've written yeah Ooh, gosh self-promotion probably if, if it was if it was a novel I'd, I'd maybe go for one called witch hopper which is actually based in my hometown and it's all about english folklore or elements of english folklore like wicker the green man obviously i grew up near sherwood forest um mm-hmm. So this idea that there's quite a strong idea in English kind of folklore of the wild wood, see it in Wind of the Willows and everything like that. And obviously in, in things like Robin Hood as well. So the idea of the wild wood of being quite a magical place and being, you know, where a kind of a lot of the heart of English folklore lies and the green man. I don't know if you know the green man, Jack in the I Green. Don't. It's kind of, Mm-mm. see it. So on the cathedral in my local, local town, my hometown, it's a kind of face, but he has, it's quite a creepy image. If you look it up, he's got like leaves and branches growing out of his mouth and his eyes and his ears. And his hair then is made up of like foliage. And no one really knows where it comes from. Like the idea, it's lost in the kind of mists of time. But it's on a lot of, especially kind of, a lot of English churches have the green man carved into it. Hmm. Obviously, it's like Christianity appropriated local Christian beliefs and so reflected them back to the local community. 
so you see this at harvest time with things like har- straw bears. I don't know if you've seen Morris men in the UK. So <laughs> no. They have things like straw bears and, and the green man is often seen at those. And they're kind of like often associated with like pagan fertility or for harvest time and stuff like that. Anyway, I kind of riffed on that. And then we have a lot of ghost stories around great, like either white ladies or gray ladies. And they're usually some forlorn poor lady that got killed you know <laughs> by a coach and horses or drowned herself in the local yeah. pond because her <laughs> husband did something horrible or something like that and uh, I kind of liked that idea but I thought what if the spirit ended up being a malevolent spirit instead of this kind of forlorn oh hand on the back of the the head thing so yeah it's my kind of kids on bikes coming of age kind of story and it's has a father and son at its, its heart like dysfunctional family trying to mend their their ways but the father and son get cursed by the witch hopper so she's this vengeful spirit if you see her basically you've got very short time to live you know everyone who sees her then dies very quickly and the children of the village sing and have a have a game like blind man's bluff uh, or what's the time mr wolf so one of the children pretends to be the witch hopper and sings this nursery rhyme as the children try and creep up on her. And if they spin around and make eye contact, then you're dead and you're out mm. of the game and they all scream. and ah. <laughs> So it's based on that <clears throat> kind of idea of them getting cursed and then trying to get uncursed. And it's a big kind of epic-y kind of but based in a small town. And yeah, so that's that would be the one I would go for if, you, if anyone's interested. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, there's a podcast called and that's why we drink and they tell ghost stories to each other it's two friends and uh, they often will tell stories from England and the UK and one of them will always be like so there's a woman and she's in (laughs) and then the other one would be like black or white yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly yeah it's always the way yeah there's always some poor forlorn young lady that died unfortunate manner or got bricked up in a wall of a castle or something like that very gothic yeah (laughs) i love gothic horror so that's right up my alley (laughs) yeah if you and if anyone's looking for something shorter then a a short story i really love is called hope is a rusty knife and it's it's kind of again a ghost story but I, i wrote it when aleppo was being bombed so it's kind of a it's a family trying to flee the war in Syria and get across the border. And so it's about their journey out. And uh, yeah, I had a, a student of mine, a Muslim student of mine, help me with the Arabic and stuff because there's little oh, bits wow. of Arabic translations and stuff like that. Yeah. So anyway, it's a quite, a, I hope it, it's one of my more beautiful stories, I think, yeah. but it's a, not that it's necessarily happy ending. Yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> so you live in Ireland and there are a lot of very old buildings and haunted sites. Have you been to any of them? Oh, well, it's a funny thing. I live in the North, so that's still part of the UK. And a funny thing about the North is actually his- historically, I suppose, well, I suppose from an American point of view, there are a lot of old buildings in Ireland, but from a, an English point of view or a British point of view, there actually aren't that many because of the way the, the country was ravished by the English, basically, and the plantation system that was set up. So that, especially in the north, like Scots, Scottish Protestants were brought over to run the plantations and displacing a lot of the Catholic communities and stuff like that and usurping them. And so actually you see that there's a lot, there are, like in England, if you're in a little town in England, there'll be like Elizabethan buildings, right? Yeah. <laughs> and everything back to like 15, 1600 is up, up for grabs there. 
you'd be hard pressed to find a building that old in Ireland unless it's a castle, mm. right? Or maybe a country house. So yeah, castles. So local to me is Carrick Fergus, which has got a brilliant castle right on the sea, and you can get into it. And that's supposed to be that's supposed to be haunted. I've been many times. I've never seen any ghost there, but every castle was haunted, right? So yeah. <laughs> everyone died there. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were married before. Does your wife like horror? Well, well, we used to absolutely love horror and we used to. But since we have children, she's less amenable to watching horror <laughs> for some reason. So we used to watch it all the time. It would have been our go to thing to the extent that we would when we were students in Glasgow, they would have when the clocks would yeah, go back. What day would it be? Halloween. Yeah. So when the clocks were turning, we would go and watch an all night horror fest and it would start at 12. It would start at midnight and it would go to eight in the morning and you'd see five movies back to back. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you'd see some classic ones and then you would normally see a couple of new ones. So we saw like Pitch Black was first sci-fi horror. It was like first screen there and we saw 28 Days Later oh, nice. on that. Uh, and that was, I think that was the first day of release for 28 Days Later. It might have even been one of the premieres. But yeah, we saw loads of them so many cool horrors and then you'd have we'd walk home because we were poor students so we'd walk from the city center through through (laughs) through to back to the west end of glasgow which if you've ever seen the university that's a very gothic building up on a hill looming over with spires (laughs) like it's in harry potter or something yeah so uh, we used to love it and now i have to kind of like be smart and get into it but now my daughter's 12 and she's suddenly i said she loves horror so we were watching we were watching it together the the remake of it mm. last last week and what else we were, I introduced her to alien and then she didn't sleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're starting to watch horror movies with her we might even watch cell tonight i'm hoping oh fun. Uh, which is a stephen king book i really like but i think the movie's a bit rubbish but that can be yeah. fun too yeah <laughs> what about do you have a you have another daughter you have two daughters is the other one younger and not yet into horror I have a son as well, yeah. So he's he's only eight, and he's ah. he's into Power Rangers and you know things like that, and he scares easily. But yeah, and yeah. superheroes. But yeah, so he's not into it yet. <laughs> Hopefully someday. <laughs> someday soon, yeah. yeah. I have to ask, since your favorite horror movie is The Thing, what did you think of the 2011 prequel? I thought it was all right. Not yeah. too bad. Not awful. <laughs> not as bad as they it could have been. Yeah, like what went on in the Norwegian camp. I go to Norway a lot as well for work. I usually go like three or four times a year as well. So I, I could understand some of the actual Norwegian in it. Yeah, it was all right. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it could have been better. But I, I, and I think they used too much CGI as well, mm. rather than a good blend of animatronics. I think I would have kept the, the kind of flavor of it a bit, a bit closer to the original. But yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Very cool. Watching. I haven't seen it, but I hear mixed, mixed things about it. Yeah, I mean, if you're holding it up against the original, it just it just doesn't stand up well, you know. But that's just such a great ensemble cast of just fantastic mm-hmm. actors from top to bottom with a fantastic script and just such a, a, I think at the time, such an original setting and stuff that, you know, it's hard to follow. Yeah. <laughs> so an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Yeah, I like this question. <laughs> I'm surprised that it did. Well, maybe we were better prepared. Like maybe we've already worked out worst case scenarios 
it can get a lot worse than this yeah. believe me no one's eating anyone yet right yeah <laughs> that we know of right uh, so yeah like things can things can always get worse and I think if you're a horror reader or a horror movie fan you know like oh, this is not bad yet yeah. <laughs> you've got this, this isn't even this is just the setup in the first act like <laughs> the inciting incident hasn't even kicked in yet right <laughs> so yeah it's not it's not bad that and probably a lot of us already had prepped you know <laughs> we already had masks there was a bug out bag there lots of people had tinned food they already had toilet roll you know we were prepared <laughs> definitely <laughs> how do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're looking for something to watch oh well no doubt I'm manipulated massively by algorithms that's what I suspect but I find it really hard like scrolling through again part of it is like what's the context if I'm trying to watch something with my wife in the evening I, I'm a, I'm rationed. I can only watch something every so often. It makes us sound terrible, but it's it's just like obviously we've got to find something we want to watch together. If I'm away by myself, or if my daughter's up for it, a couple of things we might do. Uh, I'll watch old horror, right? Say stuff I know is good. So I'm quite happy to watch the thing again, or Pitch Black, or you know, try and find. Yeah, there's a movie I've been trying to find for ages on a streaming service that no one does. I don't know if you've heard of it. Salute to the Jugger. Mm-mm. it was a what's his name it was a scandinavian actor who was oh Ruk, Ruk, yeah Ruk Gahawa was in it and it was this like post-apocalyptic sport they played called salute to the jugger and it was really brutal and horrific and anyway it was out in the 80s such a classic i think it was called something different in america though we called it in the uk it was it was entitled salute to the jugger yeah um, this it, says blood of heroes that's it that's what it was yeah. in america yeah Mm, yeah and so it's a it's a bit like a sport movie where you're trying to get to think something like an american baseball movie where you've got the rookie comes in and then there's the old hand who's like got his last season because his shoulders screwed or his knees are going but they've got to get one more play to get in the big leagues or you know whatever it's a bit like that but massively violent with like chains and like trying to put a dog's head on a spike and they're trying to get to the big cities which are now all underground and stuff like that i haven't seen it since i was about 15 so it might be rubbish because <laughs> i've really watched <laughs> movies that i thought were amazing when i was a kid but i've been trying to watch that for ages another one i wanted to see again was screamers which was a sci-fi horror and it was about like kind of ai kind of uh, landmines <clears throat> on a on a distant alien planet <clears throat> mm-hmm. That could kind of mimic things anyway it was really cool i really liked it time but how do i choose yeah i often go for old stuff and i'll quite happily watch old you know movies that i really like over and over again because it's pretty safe and i can also kind of convince my wife to watch it yeah. but if it's something new i love a creature feature if it's got a shark in and <laughs> and rotten tomatoes hasn't put it below 5.8 i might give it a go <laughs> uh, i was actually like scanning through my phone this morning and there was another shark movie that looked absolutely preposterous and it was called what was it called it was called equiline or something like that or it was about a, a, a family that a, a husband and wife that are on holiday in mauritius or somewhere like that it'll come up if i just do a quick scan oh the the requin it's called the requin anyway the, i don't know if you've seen mauritius but there's like a lot of these houses on stilts mm. and it's very low to the water and then a storm comes in and washes their house out to sea Ooh. 
and then it slowly starts to kind of like they're trying to survive and gets disintegrates into the water but then there's loads of sharks right yeah. and it's oh. kind of, kind of but if you give me a <clears throat> i'm a sucker for a shark movie you know give, give me 47 meters down give me give, give, give me a genetically modified sharks in deep blue sea you know what else oh crocodile movies i'm a sucker for crocodile movies i think it's an underrated subgenre. you know so you've got crawl and rogue and lake placid and black water oh i love that i love that little subgenre. but anything any if, if i'm going for something new I'll, i will go for a creature feature yeah and if it, if it was a sci-fi horror you know i'm there <laughs> nice i really liked crawl when it when i, I thought it was good yeah. yeah it was really good yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea. Florida's flooding and there's gators yeah. everywhere. <laughs> What's not to like about this movie? Did you see Rogue? I have not seen Rogue. The Australian one? It's worth mm-hmm. watching. That's really okay. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Australia's just scary. Like, oh, yeah. You yeah, just set so many you. horror movies. Yeah. Just set loads of horror movies in, in, the, in Australia. It's frightening. I read a book recently called The Rue, which was a kind of slightly tongue-in-cheek horror novel that Alan Baxter wrote. And during lockdown about a carnivorous giant carnivorous kangaroo that terrorizes an outback town so it's just a pure <laughs> creature feature uh, this, and it's just gross like people getting ripped apart by this giant oh, kangaroo <laughs> and like kicked to pieces and oh it's fantastic it was so silly and it was full of australian slang and australians have just such great slang and put downs and and like phrases for things and he and he put a glossary at the back for everybody <laughs> so that they could understand what different things were because yeah uh, yeah and, and a lot of like the kind of horror writers and the horror community were named as characters oh, in cool. that so like uh, sadie hartman who's like a uh, mother of horror she's very kind of big reader and promotes work and stuff and so she's in it as a character and various other characters are in it as well people authors are in its characters so yeah creature features that's my thing that's Mm -hmm. very cool (laughs) are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again i think i mentioned one of them already which is the strangers (laughs) i absolutely hated that movie because it was too scary (laughs) no because it was so annoying i was just like (laughs) why is no one fighting back like there comes a point when like you know, doing nothing is far worse than doing anything. I, I, the psychology of the movie just didn't track for me. It was so passive that, like, a home invasion, you know, wouldn't, res- you know, <laughs> wouldn't create, like, quite a catastrophic and very quick response from yeah. at least someone in that group. And then, like, when things start going on, you know, they just weren't scary. I live in Northern Ireland, right, where people actually do do things like punishment beatings, right? Not regularly, right? But like, if you live in certain parts of cities like Belfast or Derry, Londonderry, like there are nasty men who will turn up with balaclavas and, you know, shoot you in the kneecaps or drive a railway spike through your leg, right? And then like, this is a thing called a punishment beating. And uh, this is a horror, it's a horror podcast. So I'm sure everyone's yeah. okay with this. But there are genuinely really nasty, nasty people that will do horrific, violent things. Sounds like a setup for a Liam Neeson thriller, doesn't it? <laughs> really, could totally be. And then he, he comes out of a coma, yes. and that could be a that could be a Jean Claude Van Damme movie that I'm remembering as well. <laughs> anyway, comes out of a coma five years later, and then like goes through a whole bunch of paramilitaries or something. Anyway, but I was just like, it's just. Unless there's like they've got a shotgun or something, you're gonna do it, and they they're not. They're just standing around with their silly masks on and their knives, looking like hipsters. I'm like, why is no one slapping the hipster? 
with the silly mask on. Like, what are we doing here? You've, there's a chair there, right? There's a stool by your expensive bar. Like, why aren't you picking it up and hitting that dude with a silly mask on? Like, you know, yeah. It's like yeah. Attack of the Hipsters. So I'm not watching the games <laughs> again. Hate that movie. This this one maybe would get people because loads of people love this movie and I detest it with an utter passion. Cloverfield. Oh, that's one of my favorites. But yes. why do you hate it? Right. You can you can argue with me about this. I'm happy. I mean, I hated every single character and couldn't wait for them to die. I wanted them all to die after the first ten minutes. I was like, is anyone worth saving here? Like these are all like felt like just pathetic self entitled like idiots. I was like. I feel no identification with any of these people. Please die quickly for my entertainment. But they didn't. They kept yeah. going. I was like, what's the point in this movie? But anyway, <laughs> go for it. Why, is, why should I like Cloverfield? <laughs> uh, I just really liked it. And the characters are, now that you're saying it, they're not great. But like, <laughs> I like, I don't know. I like that it was set in New York City and that yeah. there was this thing that they didn't know what was going on. And then these little spider dog things came and they went through mm. the subways. And mm. yeah. it's probably just because it's in New York City and I love found footage. So that was know. cool. I did like the, the, the kind of first person found footage kind of element to it. It's the, a movie I like that, that for me did it better was Battle Los Angeles. Mm. Again, sci-fi horror, but I suppose Cloverfield is kind of sci-fi horror. Yeah, I should definitely. Be with that, right? I should have been. Yeah, you should board. love that. It's Godzilla. I just, I, I it's a... That's probably why I watched it. I was like, this is a home run. Like, how, how yeah. can this fail? And yet it did. But Battle Los Angeles, I really like probably because it had lots of guns in. And it was lots of running battles through the streets and stuff like that. I really like that element of it. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, so Cloverfield, I don't like, and I know that's one that loads of people love. It always comes up on like, oh yeah, Cloverfield's amazing. I love that. Uh, again, maybe controversially, I don't hate. I don't like the Saw franchise. I like. I enjoyed the first one. I saw that at an all night horror fest with <laughs> with uh, my wife as well, and I think it was one of the, it was the first time it was released. And I thought, oh, I quite like this idea. It's a little bit over the top with the violence, but I get it. There was a point to it. It was catharsis on steroids. That's fine. And then it kind of kept going. I was like, oh, I'm done with this. Like, it's not, it's not doing anything for me after yeah. this. It's just, <laughs> just, but I know, and I know, love, and that segues into another kind of element of, of horror movies that don't massively float my boat. I love excessive gore in the context of comedy horror, right? <laughs> I think it works really, really well. You know, give me a guy getting ripped to bits in, the, in a pub window in Shaun of the Dead, and I'm, and I'm absolutely with you. But Rob Zombie movies, just aesthetically, I don't like them. And I know okay. people love Rob Zombie. And I love it. Well, no, it's not just the aesthetic. It's the, it's the aesthetic of violence in them. I like the, how he films it, like cin the cinematography in it, the lighting, the color palette. His movies look, not surprisingly, obviously, like uh, music videos, right? And, and, I th and they're kind of hyperbolic. I just don't get this kind of nihilistic, hyperbolic gore. It, I, it just has no, it doesn't seem, it seems so nihilistic. There's no catharsis. There's no nothing that comes out at the end of it. I suspect that's the point, but that doesn't, and, and that's fine. It just doesn't float my boat as a kind of thing. Like, again, like I like, I kind of like a certain degree of authenticity in my violence. And uh, I have, you know, see stuff up here. I have three black belts, so <laughs> like I kind of train all the time in in, in forms of, of combat and things. 
and I just find it like it's just so disassociated with actually the psychological kind of reality of committing violence and having violence committed to you not that the, the participants aren't like actually genuinely traumatized and stuff but then there doesn't seem any point to it there's no like I said there's no catharsis there seems to be no redemption mm-hmm. ever <laughs> like, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong like you know I could watch more Rob Zombie and maybe I'll be com- converted but that would be <laughs> my would you like Rob Zombie I've never seen his movies so yeah I don't know. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Like, I love listening to him on interviews. I could listen to him all day long. He sounds like a fascinating dude. But whenever I always go, I'll try another Rob Zombie movie, right? I'll try another one. It'd be good. And then I'm I'm always like, oh, God, my foot's tapping. And I'm like, I'm really not. I'm not digging this. When's it over? (laughs) But, you know, take horses for courses, isn't it? Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Oh, yeah. So the first time when we watched 28 Days Later on this one of these all night horror fests, well, one, we saw Pitch Black there. That was incredible. Like that's, Again, that could be one of my favourite movies. I think Pitch Black is just a brilliant script. It's a great concept. It's wonderfully executed. Everything, everything from the characters due to the, like, the cinematography on that, the colour palette they used in it, where it's all washed out and drained. And then, yeah, great character arcs in it as well. And not like an obvious ending, like totally like bittersweet ending. Loved it. But we watched 28 Days Later, which is just got to be one of the greatest zombie movies. I love it. Ever made, <laughs> right. Uh, and um, we that finished at eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. So we hadn't slept. And we walk out and then the streets are empty because <laughs> it's eight in the morning on Sunday and the clocks have just changed. And so my wife and I then have a, like a 40 minute walk across the city <laughs> through absolutely empty streets, having just watched <laughs> 28 days later where the start of the movie obviously is yeah. uh, dude wakes up and walks out in the empty streets of London and there's nothing there except a few streets along then zombies start coming out after him. And they're fast zombies, they're scary <laughs> zombies, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was cool. We always talk about that, yeah. That's oh, and cool. another one. Another one. Oh, not in theatres. This you might come to this later, but we were living in Glasgow when World War Z was being filmed, <clears throat> and so they used Glasgow city centre as a proxy for Philly, oh, Philadelphia, because okay. the central square looks kind of similar, and a lot of the this kind of surrounding buildings. So anyway, I was working at Caledonian University at the time, which was just up on the hill, and at lunchtime I'd walk down. And it was kind of cool because what they would do is they had all like the American, obviously what you would call garbage trucks and what we would yeah. call rubbish trucks. <laughs> and then we'd have the, the yellow taxis and like big American Chryslers that we don't get over here and all that kind of stuff. And they'd all be beaten up and flipped over. And what they'd do is they'd move them to the side. So it's Hollywood came to town, right? Yeah. And, and everyone moved them to the side and everyone would be wandering around going, oh, this is so cool. And then basically like, come 10 o'clock or whatever it was they'd move everything back and then do some filming and then they move it back again at the end of the day and yeah it was just lovely so but anyway it was not in the cinemas but it was obviously then when we went to watch it that opening sequence is all filmed in glasgow city center and so we were like oh that's <laughs> city hall and that's oh that's where pret is and that's where like you know that bar is and stuff like that it was really cool yeah Oh, that's very cool. I remember the second time I ever watched 28 Days Later, it was when I was studying abroad in London. So that mm. was fun. And I remember hearing how they filmed that opening sequence 
in London, they just, they went and filmed at like five in the morning before they shut down those streets to traffic. So I was really impressed that they were able to shoot it in the street at all. Yeah, and then, and then they, I think they had to airbrush out like quite a lot of little people in the background mm. and like trains <laughs> moving and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. it's really cool. I love that movie. Yeah. Danny Doyle, but he's a, such a fantastic director. Yeah. What has been your favorite horror movie that you've seen so far in 2022? Oh, you see, I, you sent me this question beforehand and then I thought, <laughs> have I seen a movie, mate, that came out in 2022? And I realised, because we're not that far in, I suppose. Are we, mate? Four months. <laughs> so I was scrolling through what I'd watched and I was like, I've watched nothing but old movies. <laughs> well, so, okay, so what's your favourite movie overall that you've watched in 2022 so far? Gosh, what have I, oh gosh, now I have to remember what I've watched. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, have, what have I enjoyed so far? I really disliked the first part, the first part of it, and, my, and and we quite enjoyed the second part, but they were by no means good movies. Oh, I've got something negative to say about Fear Street. Okay, <laughs> did you watch Fear Street? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. I really enjoyed the first two parts. Did you yeah. enjoy the? the, the I did. Did you yeah. like the? Did you like the third one? It was interesting. It was okay. <laughs> Right, yeah. I couldn't finish watching the third one because the Irish accents were so terrible. Oh. Like, it was just <laughs> like, it was like my English uncle who has a terrible Irish accent was employed as the dialect coach. And I was like, <laughs> you've done all this effort. You've like interwoven these different timelines. We've body swapped into the past and no one can produce an Irish accent worth their soul. Right. And I was like, come on. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> uh, so it just, it was really like irksome because they were so far off the money with something yeah. you were not even not one of them, not, not a single one of them had one. It was like watching a Lucky Charms advert. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like uh, this is quite racist like <laughs> in a way like oh wow really offensive like if this was set somewhere else like people would be really offended right so i thought they uh, were in england though or they it was set in america but english settlers is that not the case no i thought they were irish so, so definitely with names like seraphino so i thought they were irish settlers in like that mm. kind of yeah early early kind of settlers they could have been oh. they could have hmm. been english if okay. they were English, their crime is even worse, right? <laughs> right, and I am definitely offended. Right? Uh, if that was if that was your attempt at an English accent, that's worse than Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins, oh. right? You know, <laughs> hello, Mary Poppins. <laughs> you know, it's like, please, uh, like, no, yeah. you can't do that. Or it was worse than Brad Pitt in The Devil's Own, right? Like, no, if you want to see a bad Irish accent, you've got to see he plays he plays the roguish IRA dissident terrorist, you know, with you know, with with a real heart, right? It plays quite badly over here. Anyway, terrible accent. But he did sort it out by the time he did scratch with Madonna's Mr. Madonna. What's his name? Guy Ritchie. Yeah. <clears throat> but he was playing a traveller there, which is slightly different. So maybe yeah. maybe go away with it. Okay, so what else have I actually liked this year? What have I rewatched? Uh, we watched Alien again a couple of weeks ago, and I have to say, it's still fantastic. And we rewatched Terminator, and I'm trying to get them to rewatch Pitch Black. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, nothing if, I'm nothing if not repetitious. Yeah. So those are the only things that spring to mind at the moment. Okay. <laughs> what horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in the rest of 2022? Yeah, I want to watch the new Scream. Mm-hmm. 
I'm into that. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed all the ones the first time and how meta they were. I don't know if you like a lot. Of, there was quite a few books came out last year that were very that were about the final girl idea. So there was Grady Hendrix, the final girl support yeah. group. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, Stephen Graham Jones's My Heart is a Chainsaw, which I think yeah. is they're both nominated for the Stoker Award. Mm-hmm. Stephen Graham Jones is probably going to win it, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, but they're both a riff on the idea. And then there's another book called Final Girl that came out a few years ago. But Scream did it back in whenever it was, the early noughties, I thought. And they did the whole Met discussion. And so it kind of felt like me, like we did a whole load of meta-narrative stuff in the 90s and the no- early no- late 90s, early noughties. It was all about being meta. And then we were doing it again and it was being branded as though it's being, oh, this is really original. And, I, and then I kind of looked at it and went, well, you know, to be honest, right, yeah, we had all the kind of final girl slasher movies and all its kind of patriarchal tropes that were a bit thin even when they were being done in the, in the 70s. But basically, Ridley Scott and James Cameron and kind of exploded that, right? Because Ellen Ripley is not a, a kind of, oh, please save me like some some horrible phallic man is coming after me and killing me. And, and then, like the end of Halloween, you need a man to save you anyway. Ellen Ripley doesn't need anyone to save her. She's the smartest, strongest, most principled person on the crew, right? <laughs> In both movies, right? And then Sarah Connor is like the saviour of all humankind, right? In Terminator. You have to watch that movie, right? So she goes, and it's a great character. She goes from being like, she starts off this kind of like quiet, timid, you know, 20 something girl trying to make her way in LA, you know, and, and she's not very assertive and, and she's lovely and sweet. And then this relentless monsters robot is going to try and kill her. Right? And so she has to go through this transformation and kill her for something she hasn't even done yet, right? Yeah. Excuse me. So, I kind of felt like they'd, they'd exploded that a long time ago and, and were like raking over something as if this is original game. Maybe I'm missing something. I, again, I like those books. I thought both books were fantastic. Right? So they're really, really good books. Yeah. I just felt like a lot of the, the chat around them wasn't quite as original. But Scream is funny as well. So I'm really looking forward to Scream coming out because they, if they can do anything like near what they did before, that'd be funny. And, I, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I want to see, I really want to see Tusks. I know that came out a few years ago and I've been meaning to watch that movie mm. and I haven't got to it yet. And then you've got that one with the, who, what's the name? I'm going to watch that, the Requin, that shark movie. Oh, definitely. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to have to do that. And then there was one with, what's the name, who was in Killing Eve and Grey's Anatomy. Mm. What's the name? Do you have Killing Eve in the UK? In the I US? think so. Yeah. I think so. It's a British made, but it's the, what's the name? Oh, and Firestarter. That's what I was ah. looking at. Really looking forward to Firestarter because that's a great Stephen King book. So whether or not it can be adapted well is a, is another matter. Yeah. Cool. So we've already talked a little bit about movies that everyone loves that you don't like. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so World War Z. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I really like that movie. And like apparently... Most other people think it's a load of rubbish. It's a load of trash. What do you think of it? Do you like it? I liked it, but I also haven't read the book. I interviewed somebody recently who said that the book was completely different. It was basically a documentary. It's massively different. And yeah. I think that's part of the problem is a lot of like horror literary fans have read the book. I've read the book. 
It's a great book. It's weird though, right? It's, mm-hmm. You could not make a movie out of that book, right? And, yeah. and I don't think anyone would want to watch that movie, right? Because it's like, it's what you would call epistolary, right? So it's all like a guy going around doing interviews after the kind of as humanity is kind of getting on top of the zombie apocalypse and stuff. And the thing about Max Brooks as a, as a writer, he's, he's Mel Brooks's son. I don't know if you yeah. know, know mm-hmm. that, right? So, but he's like a defense analyst. That's what his day job is. Like he's a high level defense analyst and he's really interested. One of his main preoccupations is how like basically no one knows how to do anything. And if our supply chains failed and if anything, like through a, through a spanner in the works, basically got like three days of supplies and then society breaks down. Right. And we've got a, an inkling of that. So he writes books around that. And that's really what World War Z is about. Like a lot of his zombie stuff is all about that. He's even got a fantastic book that he came with one of my favorite books of last year. It was called Devolution. And it sounds like a terrible, a terrible plot, but it's it's about a a group of, a a little village gets set up in the Pacific Northwest by a tech billionaire, right? So we're all, we're going to, we're already, we're already hating a tech billionaire, right? Because it's an easy, easy (laughs) but what they're doing is this is perfect little village. So they can be like all eco, and be like, you know, one with nature and they can do yoga outside and they can be all the redwoods flying up and just, just so great. And then all their supplies are flown in by, by drone, but they're 50 miles from the main road, right? And so what happens is there's this Mount St. Helens event and the, this volcano blows up and they're outside the blast radius, but everything is cut off, like the supply chains go. Mm-hmm. So they're isolated. But what the, uh, the volcano does is displaces a family of, sasquatch <laughs> whose normal feeding grounds have been affected and now they've got some dumb humans that they can <laughs> so there's this like little village they're trapped and they basically have to you know defend themselves against these like eight foot high killer apes that are in the pacific northwest and it sounds completely ludicrous as an idea and it's like you can't have a good you know bigfoot story but it is it's brilliant and again, like all the characters in it, and it's kind of told by someone who's really neurotic at the start, and she's writing a diary to her psychiatrist, who then she likes emails it to them, and then they have a Zoom talk about how she's feeling, and you know, not to reduce someone that's obviously feeling anxious, it's just done so well. And then it goes through this whole thing where, like, they somehow they've got to stop being pampered and work out how to survive so there's even elements of like that kind of character of mark watney in the in the marsh and like how do i grow potatoes on mars and survive until they can come Mm. back and get me so like how do we grow crops how how do we make weapons how do we survive without electricity and people have got to find resources that they didn't know how that would be a brilliant movie yeah that would be a fantastic movie but what was your original question oh what are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like yeah it is definitely world war z we had a great chat on twitter a few weeks ago that you were involved in as well i believe and i was going no world war z is great no it's not great it's rubbish and i was like don't care i think it's absolutely (laughs) fantastic i think you're blinded by the fact that you love the book and it's not like the book it's definitely not the book it's nothing like the book it's better than the book there you go there's some controversy for you i love max brooks i think he's brilliant i think he's amazing i enjoyed the movie far more than i enjoyed the book and i enjoyed the book thought it was good but it's great it's a textbook monster movie like everything in terms of like you have there's a in writing circles call it speech and praise of the monster 
where the doctor on the plane gives that tells you why the virus is so clever but and and all the design of it like how the the achilles heel is like part of the monster's strength and everything it's all in there love it (laughs) awesome if you could remake one horror movie which one would it be it wouldn't be one it would be every alien movie after number three (laughs) (laughs) how many are there oh too many too many (laughs) and ridley scott's re is bloody effort of coming back in and doing it was the travesty of the highest order because he just he played around with the law that's quite well established and and said that he didn't when he like totally went against things that are in the first and the second movie uh, and and kind of rewrote what was what was happening and how it was working and stuff like that. So anyway, it's not it's a beautiful movie that he remade, but it's not a good script. But yeah, the first three are, are pretty good. I was when the third movie came out, I was sad because it didn't kind of have Hicks and Newt and stuff in it. But it's so dark and it's kind of trapped and stuff like that. And again, visually, it's quite good. They were limited by CGI at the time, but it's a good script. So one, two, and three are good, but four is just terrible. It was like a period in Hollywood, I think, like late 90s, and it hadn't quite nailed. I don't know, it was, it was a cash grab. It was really bad, and it just it didn't work. And they kind of like resurrected Ripley genetically. You know, it was a Alien 4 is a particularly terrible movie. Probably worth watching just for that. You know, okay. there's a really gross bit where the alien kind of gets slowly sucked out through a tiny hole <laughs> into space and kind of gets withered out. That's like the best mm. bit of the movie. And it's not even really the alien. It's like this like Cuban alien hype. Anyway, it's not it's not good, but it's funny for that bit. And yeah, the Ridley Scott remakes or the new ones recently have been really bad. So yeah, probably like an alien fall would be good, you know. There's bound to be, there's loads of alien books that people have done post hands that they could, they could, they could redo that. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, my last question is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? I love this question. I'm going to say the gremlins. Oh, <laughs> because no, the green ones, right. They, those dudes know how to party. <laughs> right. And I think like, <laughs> they had a right good time getting smashed in that bar, having a right like, you know. And then, you know, they were just all about the fun, you know, jumping in a pool, you know, okay, a bit violent. And again, you know, we've all had friends like that. They don't handle drink very well, shouldn't eat late night kebabs. But they'd be great because also what they do is they sabotage all your technology. So your phone wouldn't work, right? Your computer wouldn't work, your tablet wouldn't work. You'd be completely present. Right, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be at dinner and someone's checking their phone. You're like, what are you doing? No, it'd just be you, the gremlins, getting utterly smashed. I think it would be fantastic. There'll be, it would be carnage. And what a way! And you know, maybe even just, if not just quarantine, just the end of the world. You know, see it out with the little green dudes. Why not? <laughs> nice, I love it. Thank you so much for being here and for chatting with me. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online and your stories? Yeah, I mean, you can get me at dansoul.com. It's quite easy <laughs> easy to find there. So that's got like little bits of like more information about me. You can also, I suppose on social medias, I am, what am I? Writer Dan Soul. Yeah, that's at Writer Dan Soul. I'm, I'm that on think Twitter and Facebook. 
and Instagram. Yeah. So if you want to connect, that's great. And like off my website, there's loads of free short stories. I've got like a double anthology of short stories you can download for free if you want. And there's also three classic horror novels and stuff you can you can pick up. There's Dracula, Jacqueline Hyde, and Frankenstein. But like, deliver to your to your Kindle or whatever you want. <laughs> They're ebooks, obviously. I don't send you the real books. <laughs> yeah, but you can get free stuff there. So, yeah. awesome. cool. I will. I will leave links to all that in the show notes. Thank you again for being here. I'll well, see thanks. you on awesome. Twitter. Yeah, definitely. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Sewell, and thanks again to Dan for coming on. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at Who's There PC at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated.